Hey there, do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com or shoot him a call at 773-340-1286. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if it is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 129. And my guest this week is James Goodson, who is the mastermind behind the incredible band Daisy. I have a little bit of a funny relationship with James, as you'll hear I talk about, uh, where he was my publicist for Hesitation Wounds. So we had worked together, and then he also would go on tour with Julian Baker uh, in sort of a tour manager role. So I hung with him a few times in that situation, and I did not realize that he's the gentleman behind Daisy. So I'd been around him with Military Gun when we were out on tour with them uh, earlier last year. And I just, for whatever reason, my brain was broken and I didn't put it all together. So I felt a little bit embarrassed. So I decided to apologize to him for that. Um, he's going out on tour supporting Snail Mail in April, which is really awesome. That's going to be a great tour. And if you haven't checked out his full LP, Out of Body, do that immediately. It is so good. It is so catchy. Uh, it'll be in your head for uh, the remainder of the week if you listen to it today. I'm just telling you. Before we get to the show, I want to do a quick shout out to anyone who came out this last weekend to the Touche Amore uh, 15 year anniversary shows. They were really, really something. We played uh, Parting the Sea, Lament the first night, and It Survived By in Stage Four the second night. Um, it was very overwhelming. It was, uh, it, there was a lot of love in the room. It felt wonderful. Uh, I took Sunday to just basically do nothing. I was emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted. Um, it was a lot, but it's a weekend I'll never forget. So if you came out, thank you so, so much for the support and the love. It, uh, it meant a whole lot. It really, 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 really did. Um, something else that would mean a lot. If you subscribe to the Patreon, if you go to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, you get access to a lot of bonus episodes, a lot of bonus material. Um, there's a discord channel. We can hang out. Uh, you can subscribe for as little as three bucks a month. Um, it would mean a lot, like I said. And if you haven't subscribed to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this, that also is a big help. Telling your friends, letting them know what's happening over here. Uh, word of mouth is a big thing. Uh, word of mouth is actually much cooler than uh, than basically anything else. All right. Without further ado, here is my conversation with James Goodson. What's up, James? It's so nice to see you. How are you? 
I'm good, man. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, so I did, I was trying to debate how, how to how to start this conversation, and I think I need to. I always love starting an, uh, a conversation with a bit of an apology. So <laughs> I'm not going to apologize. Uh, we we just discussed. I I accidentally forgot that we were supposed to do this yesterday. So that we've he and I off mic have established that. Yeah. And I think I did establish this other apology through an email. But um, ramping up for second apology, second apology. This is this is this is all new here. So um, I didn't realize that you were the the person behind Daisy. You yeah. came out for a couple shows. Um, it's definitely at least one show, a couple shows maybe on the tour when we were out with Military Gun. How long were you? Did you participate in a couple shows? Uh, I think I was just there for the one for the one. Okay. For Someone had mentioned maybe you DC, were there. For, I think. Yeah, exactly. The DC yeah. show. Um, so I don't think our paths truly crossed that day, but realizing later that you and I had worked together. <laughs> yeah, we go back as, uh, cause you worked with, um, Brixton. Do you still, is that exist anymore? No, I, I, I have my own company now wonderful okay so for the listeners uh our boy james here uh helped with a hesitation wounds record uh on the on the pr side and i remember just like realizing all of those connectivity like (laughs) i didn't know that you made music whatever so like i just felt like such a jerk that no not not only did i not did we not talk? Did I not realize these things? So no, no, don't sweat it. I uh, not only should you not sweat it. I actually, I, I get a big kick out of that, and and many people have had that exact experience where where people don't realize that like me and and Daisy and my job and all these things are are the same guy. It's <laughs> incredible. Well, I'm also you know I think it's an incredible move too that uh, you're not representing yourself. Oh yeah, God no! On the PR <laughs> campaign, because you would, you know, it's like you obviously know what you're doing, you know, yeah, like on, the, on the PR side. But but I like that you're handing that off to somebody else to sort of for handle sure. that for you. Yeah, no, I'm pretty like hell bent on not doing that. <laughs> I um, it it actually like that was a big part of like kind of getting going with uh with Daisy stuff and and getting back into like making my own music and everything was just like when you work in in music you know, it's like starts to, you know, it's work, it's a job, you know, and and I think like, it was a lot of like doing Daisy was like consciously trying to like get towards the just making a thing for fun side of it again, you know. Um, And then I would but I would definitely get in my head about like, oh, I hope people don't think like, like, am I allowed to do this? Am I like, I'm a behind the scenes guy? Am I allowed to like do my own thing or whatever? Um, you know, and, and I kind of had to like get out of my own way on that, but it's made it so that it's been really fun to like have a lot of like experiences like this where people will be like put the dots together and, and it's like super fun. Like I'll get, you know, emails from people I work with sometimes being like, wait, what the fuck is this you doing this thing? You know, like it it, it definitely, I successfully fooled a good number of people. So I feel like that's a good sign. (laughs) Yeah. You have a, you have a very um, direct way to make yourself an industry plant <laughs> right yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> i'm out no. here trying to plant <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i also you know what you're also doing though which is really cool is um you know people in bands i'm sure this is this is no news to you but people in bands like to think they're really important and that they have that they're that they have you know like all of the brain power on 
on uh, how things need to be and whatever sure. else. So to the point where like what I'm getting at is like, you know, musicians hate critics, musicians hate suits <laughs> and all these sorts of things. Because, uh, you know, they come from like the, well, fucking you make a record. Well, yeah, look at yeah. that. You made a goddamn record. <laughs> yeah, I sure <laughs> you're, did. You're, I, uh... you're body slamming every, every, uh, I think, you know, like, musician. I, I definitely like, like I fell into doing press from, from like doing band stuff. You know what I mean? Like I like the, the way that I like stumbled into it. I definitely like, like when I was a kid, I was like, you know, Oh, I want to, you know, like I want to make music. That, that was like what I was excited about. I definitely like, I don't think there's that many kids that are out there like, gosh, when I grew up, like, I just cannot wait to send emails, you know, like, it's <laughs> I just gonna can't be wait so to, sick. <laughs> to, to, to write following up emails. Yeah, um, exactly. I can't wait to receive pass day after day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Would you say from like a, from a PR side of the campaign that to, to people out there that ever get interested in doing that, um, that you need to be willing to accept uh, no, like 95% of the oh, time. Oh yeah. It, you yeah. should be willing to accept being ignored 95% of the time and then being told no, like 3% of the time. <laughs> I have, yeah, it's funny. Like I have a few friends that got into like the industry side of things and they, and they come from us uh, like you, like the musician side of things and they couldn't hack it because they yeah. were so unused to just like not having their, uh, their thoughts or their creative ideas or, or yeah. other sort of things sort of like amplified so that yeah, yeah for that's sure like a, that's something i wanted to talk to you about because that is that is an interesting side of this it, it can definitely be a challenge like you 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 have to get really used to rejection or like i said just being ignored predominantly um you know but i don't know like like i was saying like i i fell into it from the music side you know like i was in bands and you know one of the bands ended up like on a label and somebody that worked for the label did pr and then you know gave me a job and then i ended up doing my own company and like it just sort of like you know snowballed or whatever um but it definitely wasn't a thing that i had set out to to do um and i just you know i'm really lucky that i was able to like fall into doing a job that revolves around you know what totally. i like you know um but it definitely i don't know i th i think like it, it was funny because i always thought of myself as like a musician first because that was my sort of thing that i'd been about since i was a teenager or whatever and then when i fell into the more behind the scenes side of it um you know that was like a funny thing like to to, to suddenly like have this very like different relationship with this thing that i love so much you know um and then I I, only... now it's funny to almost have it like circle back the other way again, where now it's just both at the same time in a much more like tangible way, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I can only imagine there's just so much positive that comes out of that though, because it, it sets you up for how to bring about a project and like, it kind of teaches you the do's and don'ts of like how to approach certain things. I imagine like, I, I imagine yeah. that's like a, a really great set of skills to have on your behalf. For sure. I, I think that's true. I, I think it definitely teaches you some do's and don'ts. I, I think when, for me, it, it ended up being something that really, uh, like I said, I got pretty in my head about it. It made me like not really put out music for a while. Um, and I think the funny thing about it was it, it was kind of like those do's and don'ts and like how what's the right way to put out music right what's the secret what's the like correct process you know like getting getting so into the weeds with that stuff when I kind of like pushed all that aside and was like ah, I'm just gonna like throw this stuff out on Bandcamp and like not think much of it you know like once I started doing that and like kind of ripped the band-aid off 
um, and kind of got back to my sort of like more teenage relationship with it was was kind of when it actually started going better, you know, like it. But I think that that is, you know, that that to me, I think, is like the biggest kind of lesson and a thing that I talk to bands all the time about is like you just kind of do have to start with like doing the thing you're excited about and, and having it be like exactly what you want it to be you know like that is sort of the starting place and and i think that can get lost especially now when like you know everything is so you know there's so much stuff there's so the streaming services like all this stuff there's just so many different ways to do it and everyone's trying to figure out the like quote unquote like right way right and it's like well it does just still kind of need to start with like i don't know are you really excited about it and is it like exactly what you want it to be and you know like you can kind of still boil it down to some of the more like corny cliche things you know and i think those things are corny cliches for a a reason you know no totally and i you know i can speak for a lot of people and say i'm glad you really did uh get the confidence to start doing it because your output has not only been uh consistent and you can write hooks you know what i'm saying like i like it's it's uh i'm really impressed by the output that you've had in this short amount of time and it doesn't seem like it's stopping anytime soon. Like it seems like you're a guy yeah. who's constantly writing and just dropping stuff whenever you feel like it, which is cool to see someone actually be able to pull that off in a way that feels organic and and uh, confident, you know? Yeah, that's awesome to hear because that definitely is like, you know, a big part of it for me was just kind of trying to think like, what is the exact kind of, you know, musical project that I would be attracted to? And it was basically like, guy that puts out lots of stuff just because and the artwork all looks the same (laughs) yeah sure you know like I I sort of like you know a lot of the people like musicians that I always kind of you know really gravitate to are the ones that are like kind of you can tell that they're like boy that like that that cat just like cannot stop writing songs you know like they're obsessed with it you know and and I think that's you know like even when I was most in my head and most kind of like boy I don't know what to do with music like I don't know what my relationship with it is anymore I'm you know woe is me I'm so fraught with turmoil Uh, (laughs) you know (laughs) I I was still writing a lot of songs you know like I had like hundreds of songs on my computer I still have hundreds of songs on my computer you know Um, and I'm sure not all of them will come out some of them will you know but like um, you know, it's like the writing was always like the primary thing that I was super excited about, you know, um, and it wasn't until kind of starting to do the Daisy thing that I sort of like got back on the horse with releasing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm stoked to, to later on in this conversation, we can start getting into like what the foundation for all that stuff was. Um, but like, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's start with all the first stuff. So yeah, are you from Richmond originally? So I'm from Northern Virginia. Um, I grew up in this really tiny town called Lovettsville. Okay. Uh, the town that begins with love, as they would say. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it's in like the northernmost tip of Virginia, basically like you're practically in Maryland. Um, you know, so like if I wanted to go to a show or whatever, I, you know, we'd have to go to D.C. or Baltimore. You know, it's like an hour from D.C., um about an hour from baltimore too um and yeah it, it there there wasn't really like a ton going on uh in the actual like town or the surrounding towns but you could go over to like the the town where our high school was and they had shows at like a skating rink or a community center or whatever and they were really tiny um and mostly just like local bands and stuff like that but you know there was 
some sense of like, you know, here's where your band can play and, and do right. things, you know. So that that was really cool to like have that, but then still be able to go into the city and see like a proper show, you know. Yeah, I feel like there's a pro and there's a con there. Like the con is obviously that you still have to drive, but the pro is that like if you wanted to, you can catch a show in Baltimore, you can catch a show in DC. And For if you sure. wanted to make the drive to Richmond, you have that. So it's like yeah. you have three different locations that are plus your own community, like you were saying. Like definitely. Um, and then like, you know, I moved to Richmond uh right out of high school when I was, you know, eighteen or maybe I was nineteen. <laughs> I think I was eighteen. Uh and yeah, basically moved there to play music, you know, like when you're 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 like a, a young kid and you're like, I'm going to go to this place because it has a music scene and like, yeah, whatever that means. Like, you don't even really know what that that would mean. But you just start saying, like, I'm moving to play music, you know, and that was what I did. Yeah, for sure. When you were when you made that decision, was it was there like a scene in Richmond that you were excited about or was it just that? you know that there's a thriving music scene there in general because there's yeah. like so much there's such a s difference in sonic sound that has come out of that city all of it pretty great totally. you know it's like you have your avail type stuff and you also have your page 99 type stuff for sure you yeah, have yeah. your metal type stuff too obviously and like that was you know that was the thing is i didn't i knew like bands from Richmond, you know, like I knew Avail, I knew Strike Anywhere, like I knew there was like bands happening there that I thought were cool and that it was, you know, I had friends who had moved there already and were saying like, you know, there's lots of good punk stuff happening here, you'll like it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I remember like Philadelphia being on the table for like almost the exact same reason and basically we were like, oh, well, if we move within the state, we, we there's less shit you need to deal with. <laughs> you sure. know, like, I won't need to change my driver's license. So, we, you know, we moved to Richmond and, it, you know, like what you said about kind of those different like segments in the city, that was like a huge kind of fish out of water sort of like wake up call for me because like where I grew up, like all that stuff would play the same show, you know, the, like the punk band, the metal band, the whatever band, you know, like it didn't matter. It was just this is all you know weirdo music so you're you're playing together in the skating rink <laughs> yeah <laughs> right know? right right and moving yeah. to richmond where there was like a proper scene to the extent where there were these even different scenes and they were all very you know kind of segmented and everything i mean like even even like the idea that like a punk scene and a hardcore scene could almost exist separately you know was such a right like trip to me you know and at first it was like a little intimidating and i was a little bit like sketched out by that you know like i was so used to like why are these bands not all just playing together you know like they're all wearing black <laughs> right right and it's funny i had a uh, chris taylor on from page 99 and mm -hmm. uh and we were talking about richmond a bunch and he was sort of saying like it's it's got so much going on for it uh but at the same time like you know you can't like wrong somebody in town because you're gonna see them like the next yeah. day because oh, for it's like, sure yeah it's like such a small town still yeah and that's like part of the magic yeah, of it ahead. i think is like it's it's like big enough that you have all the kind of cool things that can happen in a big city there's you know good food there's good venues there's like all those types of things but then it's small enough that you still feel like you're kind of in you know a small town vibe um which i really like which is you know because i grew up in in like a pretty rural area you know so like it to me it's kind of like the perfect 
city, you know, but even then though, it's so funny, you know, like I can't even imagine what would happen if I'd moved to like New York or something like that. My fucking head would have exploded. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I've said it a million times here and I like, if I was to leave LA, like I would, Richmond would be where I'd probably want to go just because it has everything you want, but it does have this small town energy to it it's got the great food it's got the great shows it's got the great record stores it's got it's got everything yeah come Um, on over man (laughs) (laughs) um so let me ask you this when you were growing up what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours maybe not being something maybe not something that was being played in the house but something that like right you discovered yeah i think it would have had to have been uh, it would have had to have been like Green Day or or something like that or or Nirvana. I mean, the only I was I was thinking about this earlier, and the the like very earliest thing that I remember kind of being like this is something I'm really into was actually like movie soundtracks, in particular like Star Wars. You know, I remember oh, like okay, thinking like yeah. John Williams music was just like the craziest thing. You know, um, but I think it was like it was definitely Green Day and Nirvana kind of at the exact same time um, that I was sort of like, oh, so, you know, this is like, these are bands and they're, they're not just like the oldies or classic rock that my parents are playing. Like these are, these are like bands that are really sort of, I don't know, like they feel, especially Green Day. It was like, this is a band that's like happening now and, and you can kind of, get on that level you know like there you could you could be like interact with this thing as it's happening you know like i remember that specifically as a kid like in whatever it was like fourth or fifth grade you know um yeah that's like it's funny i've never thought about that but that is like a funny mental gymnastics that like as a kid you don't really deal with because if you see something on tv you just consider it larger than life and like yeah you know like outside your grasp outside of whatever like you can't imagine the idea of like interacting with this in any sort of way but when you do have that realization that it's like oh no this is a band that is currently writing music right that sort of trips your brain out as a young kid for sure i think like because so much of my early musical memories are all just what my parents were listening to or what was on the radio it like that music felt it was like i enjoyed it but it didn't feel uh I don't know. It just didn't seem like a thing that you could have like a relationship with, which is silly because I, of course, have a relationship with like all that stuff now. And, right. you know, even at the time, like Nirvana was not a band anymore and everything, you know, but like for whatever reason, those bands, they just felt like they were something that was so much more kind of like alive and immediate and 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 really like, you know, I just remember as a kid being like, okay, so this is like sort of what I'm supposed to be psyched on, you know, like it felt like, and I think some of that is like a lot of my friends were getting into all that stuff at the same time. Um, and so I think having something that was spelt very like, not only that it was mine, but that it, I shared it with, you know, my peers versus if I were, you know, talking about like, oh, you know, I really, I, I really like the Beatles, <laughs> you know, everyone's like, cool, man. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Good, good for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, fun. it's funny. I think we're, I think today I saw is the 30 year anniversary of Dookie coming yeah. out as we're talking. I think is I it saw really it. today. I think it's today. Oh, wow. Um, which I think in my brain, I always think about I always assumed that Dookie was 94, but I guess it was 93. I'm looking it up. We yeah. We got to look it up. 
Um, <laughs> it's so funny. Like, yeah, I've always pinned it. February first, nineteen ninety four. So I guess. Oh, next one. What we got next year will be when it's okay, going I down. I think some people were years. jumping the gun. Um, but yeah, I was in my brain. I was like, like thinking, did Nirvana and Green Day ever have any sort of like, 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 because uh, it's funny you mentioned those two. Like, did, was there ever any any interaction? And I yeah. literally earlier, like, I'm not kidding. Like 30 minutes before we did this interview, I Googled that. Oh, and wow. Billy Joe told a story about in 1991, they played like a co-op or like a house mm-hmm. in Olympia. And it was just before Nevermind broke. And Kurt Cobain came to the show with Kathleen Hanna and Dave Grohl. Holy shit. And he said Kathleen <laughs> Hanna and Dave Grohl were both, I mean, sorry, Kathleen Hanna and, and Kurt were both like drunk kind of up front. Up front. Uh-huh. Like he didn't necessarily say like they were fans, but they were right. like at the show. Wow. Um, which which is just so crazy because he knew who Kurt was because of right. Bleach and like the sub pop singles and stuff like yeah. that. Um, but God, what that's a so wild to imagine. So wild to imagine. And like, you know, they have to be like some uh, some awareness too, especially because like I guess like Jawbreaker is sort of the connective band between there. the two. You know what I mean? Like you they the they they must have somehow, you know, those scenes kind of interconnect via Jawbreaker, maybe. Yeah. Cause, cause obviously Nirvana ended up taking up taking out Jawbreaker years later, but like, God, I'm so yeah. It was, I get so. I'm sure you're like me. I just get so nerded out thinking oh, about yeah. like how, like what was the? Did they talk by chance? Well, it's like, just like, can you even imagine just the level of yeah, like that that particular period of time being like so fertile for you know like Billy Joe, Kathleen Hanna, and 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 Kurt Cobain and Dave Grohl all being in the same room, and then just like the amount of important things that all these people made. It's sort of, yeah. and they're all just hanging out because that's what's going on music wise. Yeah, like just <laughs> at a co-op in Olympia. Yeah, like, they're not like on a panel at at like uh... <laughs> at Nam, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, you like imagine? it's just like all these amazing people are like here organically is just like a crazy thing to imagine. Oh my god, yeah, trip me out. It was an interesting thing to read. I was just like, what the fuck? And also, like you know, it makes you wonder. You're just like, all right, how much of this could potentially be exaggerated? Like more oh, misremembered sure. or whatever. But it's like it. He would have no reason to sort of fib about that, you know? So yeah. They were um, not. They were. They were stone cold sober, and they were standing in the back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, what was? Uh, do you remember the first record that maybe you bought with your own money? Like, if it was like if you had like an allowance or something yeah. like that, something you saved up for. I think so. I was like really trying to rack my brain about this. Yeah, Th- this is definitely like the thing that I was like, boy, do I not remember this? Uh, yeah, I like feel pretty confident that it was a green day record i i feel i'm pretty sure that i bought uh kerplunk that i so i remember a friend had uh lent me their cassette of dookie and then i like made my own cassette off of that right um and then i think i remember buying you know going to like whatever it was you know cd seller or whatever the the you know coconut records you know uh and i think i just went to like the green day section and bought whatever was there and i'm pretty sure it was kerplunk uh and i because i remember specifically like buying it and playing it and being a little like what's going on here you know like fidelity wise it's it's like a different animal being confused about the fact that like 
Welcome to Paradise is on both records and stuff like there's just a lot of like new things happening there that I was sort of like, okay, I don't quite get what's happening here, but yeah. it's cool, you know, and and also kind of having that cool thing that happens when you're younger and and in of that generation where you buy a CD or a record or a cassette or whatever and you paid for it and you don't have any much else to listen to. So you're like gonna force yourself to like spend the time with it no matter what, you know? Whereas like now obviously you know, you can just kind of like skip from thing to thing. Totally. Uh, what was the first concert you went to? Um, well, so the first, I'm trying to remember, I think I went to probably like some local show or something first. And I don't really recall what that was, but I, I a friend of mine played in this band called Bubazi that was like, like a local kind of like hardcore band. Um, and they, I, I think I remember, I want to say like that was one of the first like, ever like performances of guitar music that I was ever saw. And then my first sort of like proper show was actually this band Dada. You, do you know them at all? They have the, they're like a nineties kind of like yeah. major label casualty band. They, uh, their big song was uh, Disneyland, but it was oh spelled God. like Diz, like D I Z Z K N E E land. Um, yeah. But oh they, so like, go ahead, please. My aunt and uncle, uh, for whatever reason, were like really into this band and got me into it. So like, you know, while I'm getting into, you know, punk and alternative music through basically like how Green Day and Nirvana are like such entry point bands into just like that whole, you know, you can go off into any direction with that stuff. You know, I was like right. going deep on all that kind of thing, getting really into punk. And then I'm also like weirdly obsessed with this. <laughs> like 90s band that nobody really cared about anymore right um but they were still kind of on the touring circuit and so they played uh kind of near where i grew up and we went to see them and it was like kind of this odd little you know venue slash bar show um but it was cool and i you know i thought that they were you know i was definitely like wow these guys shred and they're like ripping it up and like having and it was a cool thing to like see sort of like having zero context of like this band is actually like very much on the downturn of their career. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I'm like sitting there being like, wow, these guys are like on top of the world. Like they're playing to like a crowd and people are into it. And like, you know, and I think about it now and I'm kind of like, those guys were killing it because they were somehow still able to fill like whatever, a 300 cap, you know, decades after their moment in the sun in the nineties, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember that that show was like really early for me. And then I think my first proper concert was actually seeing Green Day during I think when American Idiot came out. Because okay. um, a, a bunch of my friends had seen them during like the pop disaster tour, like on the earlier kind of cycle. Uh, and I was really jealous and bummed. Uh, and then I so I finally saw them when American Idiot came out. And it was like the first time I ever went to, you know, like an arena show or whatever. And it was obviously like you know yeah mind-blowing <laughs> this podcast is presented by distro kid an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from itunes to spotify and apple music then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place they've got a really cool new feature called splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant 
To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. When did uh when did you start playing an instrument? Was it around that same time? Yeah, it would have definitely been around that same time. Um, I think like in middle school, I think in so in middle school you you like had to learn an instrument at school. Uh, and I chose trombone because my dad played that. Interesting. Uh, and it was fine, but I like never really took to it and didn't really kind of. It, it was like a fun thing to do and like an easy thing to do when you're in school trying to kind of like float by, but I definitely wasn't really like engaged by it. Um, and I think I started to like express to my parents that I wanted to play, you know, like a rock instrument. Right. <laughs> um, not that you can't rock with a trombone. I think many a ska band have proven us that, that we can do that. Uh, you know, but so my, Again, my a couple of my uncles who both were musicians, they uh, they were like, get him a bass because everybody plays guitar. And if he plays bass, he'll like have more like people will like need him in bands or something like that, which was like not entirely true, but not entirely untrue. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, when I was about 13, uh, I got, you know, like my my squire bass. And uh, and I remember very specifically getting it plugging it in, like plucking around on it a little bit and sort of being like, so when does this sort of turn into, you know, uh, rock and punk? Like when, <laughs> you know, like being sort of confused by like, what, how does this turn into like the thing that I want it to be? Like, what do I need to learn to get there? And I'd heard, um, you know, like the term power chords a lot, you know? And so I was like, when do I learn power chords? Like that's, that's must be what I need. You know, like I'm hearing you know, power chords in relation to like Green Day and Nirvana and the Ramones and like all this old punk that I'm getting into, you know, like this is this is the key, you know, and then hearing from like my bass teacher, well, that's not really something that bass does. <laughs> and just being like, oh, fuck, you know, like I was I was definitely had like a weird relationship with it at first where I was like, this isn't like what I wanted it to be, you know, um, and then it was kind of through being into, you know, punk bands specifically, so many of them have really dynamic bassists, you know, like the clash or, um, you know, all, all kinds of like the jam, like the, 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 they band, they, they all had these, like, I don't know, like bassists who were like a little busier than a lot of stuff that you would like typically hear and, and kind of a I lot mean, of times Mike, the bass lines yeah, are like, like the Mike, star of the show. Mike Dirt alone is totally. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So it was like the the seeing like these guys in in these bands that were so kind of, you know, I don't know. They they were they were like really making the most out of this instrument that I thought was maybe like, oh, did I fuck up, you know? Right, right, right. Um, right. that really like, you know, helped me to kind of like crack the code and and so once I started to like figure out you know how to play that kind of stuff i mean rancid was like a huge deal because obviously matt freeman is oh, just like dude. going insane you know another insane um, bass player for sure you know so like that was a big thing for me it was just like figuring out kind of like the actual function of the bass um and then i you know even from there like once i started playing in bands and stuff you know i'd like pick up the other guy's guitar and then eventually kind of learned guitar and you know would mess around with drums and kind of like figure it all out from there but you know now i'm like so thankful that bass was my first instrument because it's like 
maybe the thing that I get the most like that I think is like the most fun to play. Oh, nice. And, like just like a, uh, I, I really like I love bass. I love a good bass line. You know, like it's it's yeah. so, like intrinsic to the way I think about music now. And if you could, if you write a song on bass, like all, you have so much room to just color everything else in. Yeah, for sure. And that's definitely like a thing that like once I kind of started to figure out like, oh, I can just, you know, like a song can just start with some cool little bass line and then it can go anywhere from there. You know, like it was really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you remember the first song you learned how to play? That might be tough. Um, I mean, I'm sure Longview was like probably in there, you know, sure. uh, definitely a lot of Ramones and Misfits songs. You know, I have a very vivid memory of hanging out with one of my best friends, uh, at his house and he was playing me the, like playing me the Misfits. I'm like hearing the Misfits for the first time, having my mind blown. And then he's like showing me how, like he's playing guitar and he's showing me how to play one of the, the songs on bass. And we're just like howling along to these lyrics being like little hooligans and, you know, like it was like the most fun thing, you know? So like definitely like that was obviously, I mean, everyone, you know, who, who, who makes like punk music has this experience of like, you know, thank God they made it easy on us. <laughs> you know? sure, like, yeah. The easiness is like so essential to like, I guess I can do this and then, you know, figuring it out, you know, like that's, it's, yeah. it's pretty cliche, but like, that's such an important thing, you know? The technicality is like, how hard can you downstroke for how long? For sure. You know, <laughs> it, it was such a like exciting thing. That was honestly like the thing that made me be like, oh, I guess I will keep playing this instrument, you know, is like, I can play a Ramon song. I can play a Misfits song, you know, and, and I can like do the rock and roll thing I'm trying to do. And it's not just like, you know, learning scales. <laughs> Right, which would which can very quickly make someone uninterested when like yeah, it yeah. just because it just gets into that stuff. Um, what was the first band you did? Uh, so in yeah in boy I don't know if it was in middle school I think it was in middle school. Uh, it was it was called All Systems Go, which of course then we found out was a band. <laughs> um, and uh, it was like a full on like rancid ripoff basically you know like i'm like trying to show off as much as possible on bass you know thank god i learned those scales uh <laughs> and uh you know we're like whatever like I'll, i'm sh i think uh the song that i remember was called johnny six shot and was like it was definitely trying to do that like rancid thing where they have their little characters and they're telling a little story or whatever but it was it was pretty uh it was pretty amateur but it was fun that that's awesome that's awesome so were you singing in that band as well or were you just playing bass uh i started out just playing bass and then kind of by the end of it was when i i guess like wrote the first like real you know songs that i ever wrote um and and sang those uh and i think i you know maybe had like one or two that were kind of like you know it was like one of those awkward bands where there's like clearly a lead singer but then there's like the one guy that's like oh, i got songs too you know <laughs> right 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 yeah 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 you were trying to turn it in, <laughs> trying to turn it into like an alkaline trio sort yeah, of situation yeah. or something <laughs> and uh yeah so that was like the first time that i ever you know wrote songs um and started to kind of get a sense of what that would even look like and then um you know the next few bands that were all you know like high school like iterations of like the same people and all that kind of thing you know um i started to like you know be like the primary songwriter in bands or like you know sh share songwriting with the other people but like it pretty quickly became like 
you know, I, I think I that did help me kind of realize like, oh, like writing songs is the thing that I'm most excited about. Like maybe having the sickest baseline is not actually like as enriching as I thought it was, you know, like writing a song in full, you know, maybe that's what's like really like the thing that excites me, I think. Yeah. Did uh, what was the first show that you ever played? Was it with that band? Yeah, for sure. It was uh, it was at the community center in Round Hill, Virginia, uh, and I believe it was a battle of the bands type situation um, that I don't think we won because I feel like I would remember that we won it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, it I, it was crazy. I remember it very well, and it was like pretty. You know, it was packed. There was lots of people, kids were moshing, you know, like there was like push pitting and whatnot. Uh, it, it it almost like set like too high of a bar where it was like, so this is what playing a show is. Like you right, go up there yeah. and you do your thing and people like go crazy, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, and then obviously you play like a million shows that are shit from there on out. <laughs> totally, totally. You started on a high note, which is totally. uh, which is better than starting on a low note. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was it was insane. Like I remember specifically just feeling like, holy shit, this is amazing. And and you know, like even as a kid being having like some awareness of like that was special and fun and this has like made some impact on me. So between then and where we are now, because that you mentioned that was high school, like how many different bands would you say you have been in? Oh like, is God. it is it like are we talking in like the tens? Are we talking seven, eight? Um, God, I don't even know. It's got to be in it, it. It's probably in the tens. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'd have to really like rack my brain to count them all up, and then it would also start to become a question of like how many of these count if they like had a bunch of practices but never played a show <laughs> totally, like, totally you know what i mean like i'm sure you've been there <laughs> what was well i mean did you have a band that uh for lack of a better term i don't mean this to to sound rude but like was like pretty significant more than another one where like it lasted sure. a long time did did you like put out records with any other bands like, yeah yeah so okay. so after high school um i was in a band like my high school like final high school band um the one where we were like you know, we're going to move to Richmond and like do it, you know, uh, that band was called with new eyes and we, you know, did a little bit of stuff. Like we were just like, wanted to play like any show possible. Uh, and I think we had, we did a demo, which is funny. Cause I remember that the demo was, uh, I think it had like 15 songs or something on it. Like we didn't understand like the concept of a demo is not to do that <laughs> as but how much is that telling with uh with your output with daisy <laughs> i guess that's true um yeah so like we we did you know our our insane demo quote unquote and then uh <laughs> you know we that was like the first time i ever went on tour and everything and then after that um that band sort of like evolved into uh this band called hold tight that was like the first band that I ever sort of, you know, like really did stuff with, you know, like went on tour a lot, uh, put out, you know, multiple records, was on a label, like all those kinds of things, you know? Okay. Um, and like, that was, you know, kind of like a lifetimey kind of like poppy punky, but like very, like lifetime was like the band for me at the time. And I was just like wanting to, to sound like lifetime, you know? Um, 
But then I think also, you know, like I at the time, you know, this is like when punk news was sort of at its height. So there was definitely like a lot of ladder men and like that kind of stuff in it, too. Sure. Um, you know, and th- and so that band was the one that I really like first got into like touring and, and you know, saw most of the country with and and, you know, basement show after basement show and like all that kind of stuff, you know, there's something really sweet about uh and and lovely low ceiling where like the like the ho- the goal of a band like that would be the hopefully play fest oh yeah for sure and then when we did it was like this is the greatest day of my life <laughs> totally yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly. for sure and it was like that was i think a really um i think that particular time was like actually kind of a pretty special time in like punk uh kind of because the ceiling was really low and there wasn't really that much like where is all this going it, it felt like you could be a band that like put things you know this was like when Bandcamp first started and you could like putting things for free on Bandcamp was kind of a game changer you know um you know so it was just a time where like you could put stuff on Bandcamp, you could play a bunch of basement shows across the country and your band could legitimately like grow you know and and that was it was it was so sort of like separate from anything else and like you know any of the kind of like how do you do it type, <coughs> excuse me, stuff. Uh, and it was really fun and, 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 and just felt like a real moment in time uh, that I kind of hope eventually like people look back on and maybe there's like, you know, somebody needs to like write a book about that. Like I, I, I think that would be like a, it's like a sort of unexplored period of, uh, of yeah. Pop, well, you know? it sounds reminiscent of the MySpace era too. Where it's like, yeah. I was in a I was in a band that didn't put out records, but we felt that we had the authority to tour because sure. we, of how many MySpace plays we had, which was yeah. still not a ton, but you know, and it had that sort of like um, networking ability with messaging people to try to Definitely. set up shows and stuff. But yeah, it sounds like what you're describing with Bandcamp was the same way, and I don't know that I realized that that was actually a, uh, such a tool in that regard. Which yeah, is cool, for which sure. Is cool to hear. I, I mean, I remember um, you know putting out our first proper LP, uh, you know, or our first proper full length on Bandcamp, putting it on there for free, like getting the master and being like, this has to go on Bandcamp like right now, you know, and people finding it, people hearing it, you know, that crazy thing where like a stranger hears your music for the first time and how wild it is to like know that that happened, you know? Uh, And then when eventually we like did uh, records with animal style, you know, Matt Medina. Um, Yeah. 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 And, uh, and, you know, so like Matt pressed that first record to, to vinyl. And so that was our first like proper LP and then when we did the second one with him, we had this like lengthy back and forth about how much we wanted it to still be free on Bandcamp. And this poor guy is like, I'm trying to like put out your record and I'm put to money into a it. Bit. Yeah, yeah, you know, and we're being like, I don't know, man, like it's important that it's like on, you know, because we'd sort of like, I think we had, he was obviously right. Uh, <laughs> we were wrong, <laughs> but like, I, I think we'd like misconstrued sort of the uh like the accessibility and the community elements that were built into that platform with the fact that it was free you know what i mean and this is also still during that time where like again with like the blogs and all this stuff like i think people's relationship with like how much does music cost what is you know how much do we value music had like gotten pretty like fucked during that period totally 
Yeah. Like definitely was a time where everybody was sort of like, I was just thinking about this the other day about how crazy it is that like nine inch nails and Radiohead and like all these bands were like putting out records for free. And, and we were all like, man, that's so cool. Like good for them. Like they're the real ones. And then Metallica was getting shit for like being like, you know, you guys should have to pay for music. (laughs) And I think we look back on it now and we're like, oops, it's (laughs) crazy. We blew it on that one. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's funny. I went to Amoeba yesterday. I have a, I have a good friend that works there and she was, restocking the punk section mm-hmm. and she was like have you seen how expensive some of these records are right now yeah and i was like i was like i guess i haven't really like totally paid attention to like brand new retail prices of some of this stuff and then i even went to our section and looked up like because we just reissued some of our records and mm-hmm. like amoeba had those records for 29.99 yeah and i was like wait wait how did this happen yeah and then i was like they're like that band spy Mm -hmm. they have a 12 inch ep that was also 29.99 it's wild and i'm like just on tour and we were you know you go to a record store like every day when you're time had the exact same thing of just being like wow this has really gotten intense here yeah and it's like i can understand that it's like you know it's inflation all around you know like everybody's feeling it at the grocery store it's feeling it everywhere the gas pump whatever but like I was just shocked to be like, I guess this is how these record stores are going to need to stay open. Whereas like, as opposed to the normal uh, retail price or something, like a lot of these stores are probably going to have to add an extra seven or eight bucks. Yeah. I mean, that's like the thing is you look back on that kind of stuff now and it's sort of, you know, if there's any lesson in it, it's mostly just uh, don't think you've got it all figured out because this stuff like springboards back and forth so much, you know, where like, you know, who would have at some point they were like vinyl is completely dead. And now, you know, it's been on this like years long psycho comeback where now here we are with like the $30 records, and everything. And, you know, it, it, it like, you know, and same with like the, the all music has to be free thing. Like there was a minute there where it was like, you know, like I was saying, like we felt like it was like, we're supposed to be giving this away for free. And like, you know, I still like, <laughs> make a lot of the daisy stuff pay what you want on Bandcamp because it's so like sure just, like cranked into my mind that like that's the, the punk way guilt, it ought to baby. be yeah oh yeah sure you know and punk guilt is such a real thing it's, it's so real it, it's not far off from uh from religious guilt you know what i'm saying it's really <laughs> yeah not. for sure and i like, grew up catholic and punk so like shit was oh, really yeah, you gotta, going popping for me oh my god yeah <laughs> straight up like uh it's been said a few times on the show, but I always feel like you can measure the uh, trajectory and the lifetime of a of a punk band based on the price of their T-shirts. <laughs> right. It's like when you start, they're like probably seven or eight bucks. Then they move to 10 and then eventually and- 12. And then you realize, fuck, I hate dealing with change. <laughs> so then they become 15. And I then- remember the jump to 12 and, and then doing change on a tour with, uh, with $12 T-shirts and being like, this is the most psychotic thing I've ever yeah. done. Yeah. <laughs> the only upside is that it, like you're putting singles in people's hands and you hope that they throw those in the tip jar. Right. And yeah. then uh then you get to 15 and then it's a fucking pain in the ass to find fives. Um uh, so that's annoying. <laughs> um and then eventually it's 20 and then eventually probably 25 or something, you, you know, like, at, like depending on how big the band gets, et cetera, yeah. like how confident you are in doing that matching prices with like the headliner, whatever yeah. the situation is. 
But the funniest thing that I always say is like, what you realize after the fact is that at no point did your customer care. Right. (laughs) I mean, that's the hope, I guess. Yeah. Well, like, (laughs) you know, you might deal with, you know, depending, you know, I don't know, depending maybe where you're playing the show, but like, you know, the, the consumer for the most of the 98% of the time wants to support you. Right. But you're the one making that decision that is often just, you know, making your life harder. Yeah. You're convinced that like you are actually like burdening the person that is yes. excited about your thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> like you view it as like a thing that is like it, it going to go away at any moment. And like the difference between, you know, like $4 is the <laughs> the thing. Yeah, I think there's like a an interesting um it feels like that thing where almost like if you play punk music and you have someone who wants to support you, you still feel like you are an obligation to them. And right. even though they want to support <laughs> you. It's it's an interesting yeah. thing that we all kind of go through. Um I wanted to ask though, uh before we get too far, um, what was your first recording experience like? Because you Ooh. obviously do so much self-recording now. Did, how did those play against each other? Like where were you teaching yourself how to do yeah. that stuff early on or how did that go about? Yeah. Um, so like really early on in high school, uh, I, my friend Harris, who uh, he he's in a band that I really love called Sundials from here. Uh, and he, he was like on the garage band tip, like really early. Um, and he sort of like took it upon himself to, to try to figure out like how our various high school bands could, uh, you know, make demos and that kind of thing. And, you know, really was ambitious about it and like would figure it out, you know, like figured out how to track drums, figured out how to like do it, like even just kind of explaining to me of like how all these things are going to be tracked separately, you know, was, was like a game changer. Um, and then he's also the one who showed me how you could like program your own drums in garage band and stuff like that. And like, you know, that was, I was in high school and now I'm a grown ass adult and that's still how I like make a lot of things, you know, like all the Daisy stuff is made in garage band. So it like was a pretty big deal to me. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, we would, we would make demos and stuff like that. Um, so that was like primarily everything for, you know, like the 15 song demo was like a homemade thing and all that. Uh, and then, I think maybe it was probably hold tight where I was the first time I was ever in a studio. Um, and you know, being, you know, I think we recorded an LP in two days and it was, you know, felt like the most like opulent thing of all time. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, Were you singing in that band? Yeah. 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 Uh, me and my buddy Jake, uh, were the, the singers and, uh, I guess I guess we did a dem or a, a EP or something where I think, I think maybe we recorded two EPs in one day. And maybe that was the first thing that we'd ever done in a studio. Um, but yeah, that was definitely like the first band that I ever like really was was doing stuff in the studio for. And, and uh, you know, I, I love I don't know. I love both. Like I love being in the studio and I love making things at home. Like I really don't. I think, you know, maybe people think because like I make all the Daisy stuff at my house that I am like some kind of like anti, you know, like can't fuck with the studio kind of guy or something like that but it's really not like that at all like yeah i would i love the studio i think it's like so fun you know um but i'm also just i love to i'm a control freak and like to have you know the the tools at my disposal but i think those early kind of recordings when i was a kid was definitely like the biggest lesson was just sort of learning how to use like what limited shit you have 
to make something cool and make it make sense within that kind of those confines, you know, because it was, you know, you would kind of learn that it was like, well, you're making your little, you know, like hardcore demo or something. It can it it, it can sound like shit and that will be cool. You know, like you would kind of learn like your limited tools can be an asset rather than this thing that's like holding you back, you know? And I think that really kind of stuck with me of just being mindful of like what you have at hand and like how to make the best of it instead of trying to like constantly, you know, exceed that and then have it sound sort of like, boy, they wanted it to sound good, but it does not. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. If you know how to navigate that and make it a positive as opposed to a negative, that's really, that's really brilliant. How are you with work ethic in general? Like when it comes to doing stuff at home like are you because you're doing everything yourself at home making all the you know the drum beats and all that sort of stuff like is it a thing where when you get inspired you start and then like you finish at the same time or like do you take breaks from it come back like that sort of a thing um it kind of depends you know like i if i (laughs) i mean before we started recording i was just plucking around on uh bass and liked something that I was doing was like humming some little melody and like made a voice memo of it, you know? So like, that'll be how like a lot of things happen. I'll just make a voice memo and then, you know, maybe on the weekend or when I have some spare time, I'll go through them and find something that I liked and be like, I'm going to work on this for a while. Or, you know, I, (laughs) I have a thing where I get really psycho on the weekends and will kind of feel like if I didn't write at least one song over the weekend, I've like fucked up (laughs) and it's like kind of a bad habit to have because it like, it ends up putting like kind of silly pressure on myself. But, um, yeah, I just, I think when I have spare time, it's just like the thing that I like to do the most with my, my spare time other than like, you know, hang out with the people that I love, you know? Of course. Uh, So, I mean, like, it uh it's definitely yeah like i view the songwriting very much as like it can it's like work that can never be done like i just want to always like have more songs have more like you know things to be choosing from i don't know i i think like just writing songs is like the never-ending chase for me you know for sure for sure uh what was uh before we totally submerge ourselves in Daisy? What was uh what was the fir- what was that first tour that you did? Oh, um, so that was right. That was with that band with new eyes. That was yeah. like my my post you know high school into non high school band. And uh, so <laughs> we we've moved to Richmond. We're like playing in this band. We're trying to figure it all out. We're feeling a little like intimidated by being in the real world. You know. Um, and our lease was almost up. We all lived together in a house, you know, as as you do. And uh, we our lease is up. We don't have like a new spot. And we get this like crazy scheme that we're going to do, you know, like, let's just go on tour instead of like having a lease. Let's just like book a full U.S. tour. So we start trying to book this tour. Needless to say, it does not come together. You know, all these these emails and and MySpace messages and whatnot are not like paying off. And I think we managed to string together like a week of, you know, probably there were maybe like four or five shows and it was probably like at least a week of, you know, whatever insane drugs we were doing down to Florida to like get to these shows. And (laughs) we uh, 
we were so I worked at a grocery store at the time and they had this particular policy where like their whole gimmick was like really good customer service. And so you had to sort of like you'd pack people's groceries up and then you had to take them out to the car for them. That was like the big, you know, selling point was like, you don't have to lift a finger, you know? Right, sure. <laughs> and uh so um at the grocery store, it's the day before it's like my last day before I'm like I've quit my job and I'm, you know, what I, you know, know is actually going to be going and playing like four shows and then moving back in with my parents for a little while, <laughs> you know, like it, it's like exciting, but you're also sort of like, boy, this isn't like quite going to be what I thought it was going to be. And I'm, you know, doing my job, I'm packing up groceries and Tim Barry comes through the line. And so obviously, you know, live in Richmond, Tim Barry's a legend, you know, you're, you're like, this is, this is like the guy, you know? And he's like having a barbecue or something. So he's got a, an insane amount of groceries and I'm like packing up all Tim Barry's shit and I'm like keeping it cool, you know? And finally I'm like helping him take all this stuff outside. And I don't remember how I got into it, but I basically was like, I know who you are. I love a veil and I'm like excited to talk to you, you know? And, uh, you know, we get to talk in, he's being like incredibly nice. I'm sure I was being a Punisher and he was being so nice and you know he's talking to you know he's like where are you from he's telling me about how like some of the avail guys are from northern virginia he's just like being incredibly generous with his time yeah and uh and i you know bring up that i'm like you know i'm in a band like we're getting ready to do our first tour it's starting tomorrow i'm so excited blah 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 and i he's <laughs> the last thing that he said he's like getting ready to leave and he goes man it's gonna be fucking horrible and you're gonna love it <laughs> and he was so right. Like it was like <laughs> the perfect thing to say at the perfect time where it's like he set my expectations like so low, but it was so fun, you know, yeah. and I will like never forget that, that he was just like, it's going to be awful and you're going to have a great time. And like, uh, it really was. It was like a terrible tour. The shows were horrible and I had a great time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really a, the litmus test of like who, like, are you a person that can do this can you find the joy in it yeah that's awesome the how yeah, it was, so it was so cool it was so it was from virginia down to florida yeah i think so i mean i think we went to like i know we played in athens i think athens was maybe like the only good show i remember playing in florida with like some like pirate related punk band or something like that like it was really <laughs> goofy you know um but it was super fun you know like it was you know you're in you're in a van you're with your buds and you're you're traveling around you know so i mean it it, it definitely you know put that that kind of bug in me you know yeah man uh i don't know if i've told this i might have told this story on the pod at some point but uh that band i was in before touche uh we toured out to and we played gainesville and we played the atlantic to literally the bartender <laughs> the sound person and yeah. the promoter and at one point, two people came in and left three songs into our set. <laughs> and the promoter gave us $5. Oh, wow. After the show, which at that point, you're just like, just keep the $5. I think five is actually maybe worse than nothing. It's more offensive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think we told them to keep it. And so I had sort of scrubbed that from my brain. And then years later, Touche gets to play Fest. And an it's at the Atlantic. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not putting the pieces together. 
and I'm standing in front of the venue and I just look at it in the right angle and it comes back to me <laughs> that this is where we're playing. Oh, man. And it was now a packed show. <laughs> and it was like this big triumphant feeling just for me that I, I can't explain this to like the other guys yeah. in my band and have them fully understand. But it was one of those things where I was just like, wow, like I feel oh, I, that. I feel like this weight off of me about for like sure. how, you know what I'm saying? Like that full circle sort of all like, of the my choices maybe weren't all mistakes. <laughs> yeah, it was like an interesting thing where I was like, wow, I can't believe that I'm that this was a, you know, I didn't even realize that it was any yeah it was crazy it was that's so crazy. cool I love um that. what uh so you start doing daisy and was this a project that started like during like lockdown or was it something that you had already been tinkering with yeah um i that i guess the timeline on it is kind of fuzzy uh kind of because of what i was saying earlier about how i just am always sort of writing songs so i don't really know when I sort of like locked in of like, this is what this is, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I was in another band after hold tight, uh, called team death. I think that's around. I think I met you at some point during that. Cause I, or that was around the same time when I was touring with Julian Baker and I met you. Yeah. And then, wow, okay. Yeah. So I was like doing that and we did a decent amount of touring and stuff. And, uh, and sometime like a, a few years into that, I had started, you know, at that point I had like become a publicist. I was like, you know, touring with JB a bunch. Like I was just like very busy and sort of like, I don't know, like my relationship to music was sort of changing because of all that stuff. And, uh, but I'd sort of started writing songs that were more, uh, kind of like explicitly poppy and, and, and like specific, you know, like really trying to make something that was more, like wasn't really like yelling my head off in a band, you know, like I was so used to being in bands where like, you're just like pushing your voice as hard as possible at all times. Like that was what I thought singing was for so long. Um, and I started trying to sort of figure out like, what would it be like if I didn't do that? And I didn't, I didn't know what to do with the songs. I didn't know what the songs were going to be, but I had just started writing all these songs and I was, you know, having like a real uh, moment with just sort of, you know, I've always loved like 90s alternative and like 80s alternative stuff and like just like alternative rock in that real sort of traditional sense of what that means, you know? Um, yeah. And so I was like sort of trying to like tap into a lot of that stuff. And I was feeling a little bit like I'd been in so many different bands at that point. And, you know, they kind of start and stop and they they have their kind of lifespans. And I I think I was just like, wanting to try to make something that I felt like I could do for longer, you know, um, like that wasn't gonna, you know, become something that like, wouldn't be satisfying as I was like getting older, as I was sort of like, you know, something that could like ha go in a lot of different directions. Like every other band I'd ever been in felt like it was a very specific concept, you know, and I think I wanted something that was a little bit more like, here's all the things I like in one thing, you know? So I was like writing all these songs and, you know, they were really piling up on my computer. And, and I, it was kind of the first time that I like resisted the urge to uh, like, I think probably because it was what I was talking about earlier about being sort of in my head, especially with like my job and all that stuff. Uh, I kind of like resisted the urge to record something and immediately put it on the internet. Like I had sure. so many times in the past. 
Uh, and, you know, it's funny now looking back because like, I really don't know sort of what the uh, <laughs> like part of me regrets like not putting things out sooner because, you know, I didn't like do anything with any music I was making for probably was like, I don't even know, five, six years. Like it was a pretty long time, you know? Uh, but I'm also kind of glad I didn't because I think I like <laughs> burned through a lot of shitty songs <laughs> and like figured out what I was wanting to do better. You know, I would say that's really smart. I would say that, that, uh, you, you went through that whole process of like figuring it all out internally, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And then, and then, so then when you do start putting out your own stuff, it's like of such quality. I think that was like a big thing for me was just trying to feel really like certain of like this is what I want this thing to be like and and you know a lot of that was coming from like a place of self-doubt and a place of sort of like being bummed about how other musical things I'd tried had turned out and you know but then some of it was also just coming from this place of like you know I just want to make the most sort of like direct version of like, this is what I have in my head and this is what it's going to like actually be, you know, um, like musically, visually, like all of it. It was the first time that I was like, it's just me playing everything. It's just me writing everything. It's just me recording everything. It's just me making all the artwork. Like every part of it was like an extension of like just my brain in a way that was really scary, but also was kind of, you know, I don't know, like if <laughs> this is, at least I know I really like am all in on this, you know? Um, yeah. Did you have, do you have people in your life that you like go to that you bounce songs off of to be like, what do you, you know, like that would give you like an honest opinion or do you yeah. keep it all to yourself? Well, so for, for the Daisy stuff, it, <laughs> it's really almost all my wife. Like I, for a long time, like I would just show these songs to my wife and I started to be able to tell, you know, she would go like, uh, like, I really like that one. That's a good one. Or she would go like, yeah, that's that's good. And when it's like she and it wasn't that she like thought it was like subpar, but you could tell you could. It wasn't so much you could tell when she thought it was a song was bad, but you could tell when she thought a song was like really good. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, and so she was like really helpful with all of it and just kind of helping me to like, I don't know, like have somebody to like talk to about it. But also I was very kept it really close to the chest, didn't really show like a ton of people, you know? Um, and then, yeah, like you said, you know, the, the pandemic happened and I do think there was like something, you know, like I'm always like hesitant to, you don't want your thing to be labeled as like a pandemic project or whatever. Right. Um, and especially for me, like it was so predated that, you know? Um, but I'd be lying if I didn't say that like the pandemic helped me to kind of pull the trigger on it and, totally. and finally start putting things out. And I think a huge part of that was just there was no more playing shows. So all of these other thoughts about like, well, who's going to be in the band and, and you know, ha like do these songs have to be recorded properly? Do I need to go to the studio? Like do all these drum machines actually need to get replaced with real drums? Like all that shit kind of went out the window and it was just, you know, you're at your house and this is what you got. And, you know, it kind of helped unlock the whole thing for me and, and realize like, you know, oh, I like, I like the way it sounds. I like the drum machines. I like all these things that I was worried about, I think are actually just what I like, you know? Yeah. I think that you, you know, for better or worse, like, uh, you ended up making all the right decisions because it's like you, you held off on putting out music early. It gave you time to focus 
And, um, you know, though it's not necessarily a pandemic project, it gave you the opportunity to sort of like realign what you wanted to do with it. And the output has just been such quality at this point. It's just, Thanks. you know, it's awesome. Um, yeah, it was crazy. Like once I started like putting songs out, um, it's just like, it, it was like, just a reminder of like, oh, it's actually fun and easy and, and all this crap in your head doesn't really matter. Like, you know, you're, it, you're, sure. you're, you're just going to enjoy, you know, cause so much of it was also, I was really excited to like make the cover art and, and, you know, I had this like vision in my head of like a band camp page with a bunch of, you know, cool looking, you know, kind of cohesive cover art and 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 just i love little singles like i love classic like a side b side singles you know like i think yeah. that's a format that is actually like legitimately cool and now when we get singles they're almost always just one song and i kind of like missed that like here's yeah. the one song it's like here's digital another seven inches you're doing totally and like i think it was the kind of thing where if i'd had it my way you know i would love it if like all those things had been seven inches and then they, you know, had been on like an LP later and all this stuff, but it's like, that wasn't really in the cards. And so I am kind of thankful that, you know, as much as I, you know, I'm over here romanticizing whatever, when I went to the CD store and forced myself to like Kerplunk, you know, I, I do appreciate that. Like the digital side of it allowed me to do this thing and, and do it the way that I was excited about, you know, like it, it, it gave me the opportunity to do that. Yeah. And another blessing in disguise pandemic related is like, had you put that stuff out and maybe got, you know, some steam or whatever, all plans would have been shut down because you wouldn't have been able to tour sure. all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. So like it could have taken the wind out of the sails of the project, but instead you got to sort of, you know, really get it to where you wanted it to be. So, um, how has uh touring with Daisy been? You you have a you have a, a Clayton just saw you here in LA. Yeah. And yeah, was yeah. and was saying how just incredible you guys sounded. So nice. how like how's it been for you? It's been awesome. Uh yeah, it's it's it was crazy to finally like put together a band and start like hearing those songs in a totally different way cuz I'd really tried to write them uh, and record them like not even thinking about the the live aspect of it because that was totally different than any other band I'd ever been in. Like you're always thinking of how will we pull this off live, you know? Um, so I'd kind of thrown that out the window, but then when it did come time to play shows, I was like kind of relieved when we got together in a practice space and played the songs for the first time. And it was like, Oh, thank God. These aren't going to like sound like a disaster. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's you awesome. know? And, and so it's been really cool. And you know, like I, I play with a bunch of people, you know, a bunch of them are folks that I've played with for forever. You know, um, some of them are like newer folks that I play with and and they're all awesome and like so talented. And, and, and I don't know, it's, it's really cool to kind of like, I always like imagined it being something where, you know, a band like, uh, like guided by voices or whatever, where their recordings are very much one thing. And then, the live show is something else, you know, and I feel like we've kind of locked into that kind of a thing. So I, I it's, it's really, really fun. Yeah. I had two questions. One was, uh, you know, you mentioned a lot of like nineties alternative being an influence. Like, is there any, do you just like get all of a sudden really into a specific record and you say like, I want to kind of write a song like this because listening to you get like, listen to the music you make, like I could sort of guess some yeah influences. Like I could hear, 
like even it's funny listening to the remix version of uh pressure cooker that yeah. Anakin puts he's a part of I was like this almost reminds me of like an elastica sort of thing Hell yeah like the sort of like <laughs> I do hear like a lot of British stuff and like totally your influence what you could be influenced by but I was curious to hear from you directly yeah absolutely I mean a lot of so like punk was definitely my first you know musical love where I like really went deep into to just being like a music fan you know um and i think in my kind of late teens early 20s i started to get into uh the jesus and mary chain and i think because they were sort of like the like uk weirdo version of the ramones in a way you know sure um and that band like ended up unlocking like so much for me because you know you can kind of go from that band into like Sarah record stuff you can go into creation record stuff you can go like in all these different kind of directions um but it just really unlocked like that whole world of like you know these 90 80s 90s UK bands that were sort of they they were punk and they were uh listening to punk music but they weren't making punk music you know right and I thought that was like something so cool that with Daisy that was like a big thing for me was just trying to like capture this sort of like it can be anything that I want it to be, you know, which is predominantly like loud guitar music, but, uh, you know, but, but there's something like intrinsically punk about it still, you know, totally. whether that's in the making or, or the sound or both. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's like the Jesus and Mary chain, especially like that band with the way that like they would use drum machines and a ton of those, those British bands, like they would use drum machines and sort of like, I think that was a huge part of it for me was like, Oh, cool. So you can just have like the shittiest sounding drum machine beat with like an electric guitar and it's going to sound like the coolest thing ever. You know, yeah. like, that was like a total game changer for me. And that's sort of like the base level of like where a lot of the Daisy stuff came from. Um, and then, yeah, like I, I love, you know, especially with like Pressure Cooker and that remix and stuff like that. Like a lot of the, those bands you know, when they, they kind of steered into their like dancier phases, like I started getting into a lot more like nineties dance music and stuff like that. And just that intersection of like guitar music and electronic and dance and like all that stuff, I think is just so cool. And and having a song that can feel really like rocking, but also feel like dancey and groovy. I think that's like a sweet spot. I'm always kind of aiming for. That's awesome. I like that. There's yeah, there's not a ton of bands really taking influence from that stuff right now, too. Um, and then the other question was how where did your relationship with Ian Shelton start? I don't know if I know. Yeah. That. Um, so I met Ian when I was in that band Teen Death. Um, we played uh out on the West Coast and we did like three shows with his old band, uh Seattle's New Gods. You remember them? Oh yeah. Great band great record that band fucking rules uh, <laughs> and so i met ian out there and i don't know we just really hit it off even then and then we started working together um you know like i did pr for uh one of his earlier bands and then i ended up doing pr for regional justice center and then i was doing uh press for uh military gun up until we started doing songs together sure <laughs> um, but we just always like hit it off and 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 we're i don't know like somebody that i could always talk to about songwriting in just like the most kind of geeky deep you know goober way possible uh and he was just like so unabashedly about 
that like creative looking at like things in a very creative way that just really spoke to me. Um, and yeah, he's just, he's just like a really special person in my life. Like he, he, uh, he was one of the first people who like clocked any of the Daisy stuff at all. And, you know, he hit me up and he was like, is this you? And, and like was really encouraging about like, you should kind of like try with this. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, and he started like, you know, I, th I think he was one of the first people to ever really kind of like champion it at all. And I think he definitely introduced a lot of people to it. So um, it was, it, it's definitely, you know, he, he really helped me out a lot in that way. And yeah, uh, you, you two have a lot in common when it comes to your work ethic. So I can see, yeah. I can see that relationship being very strong for, yeah, for, that. for sure. And we're definitely like, that's, I think that's a thing that, that we, we really bond over is just kind of looking at songwriting as both like this obsessive enriching thing. And then also almost like from a very like craft perspective where you're like, I'm, you know, this isn't all magic, uh, you know, mumbo jumbo, like, wow, inspiration struck me and I magically created this thing. Like there's sort of like work and, and, and craft and process that goes into it. And you can like harness those things in a way, you know, like that's a thing that we talk about all the time. It's just like really thinking about writing songs as like more than just sitting around waiting for the magic to happen, you know? Totally. Well, shit, man, let me hit you with the last question, which is, yeah, uh, yeah. when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? Ooh, um, I mean, to be honest, I think pretty recently, you know, yeah. um, I think probably at some point, you know, in the past couple of years when I started kind of, you know, doing the Daisy stuff and I think when I first started like putting out a bunch of singles was probably, you know, when I started to, at least for me personally, where I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm like tapping into a thing that I think I've always been trying to get to. I feel like as a, like songwriting wise, I'm like starting to arrive at like where I always wanted to be, you know? And then a huge thing for me, uh, was when, I got to do a collection cassette with Convulse um, because when I'd first set out to like do any of the Daisy stuff, the the only goal that I had in my mind was I want to put out a bunch of singles on Bandcamp and then it would be cool to collect them all on a cassette. Like that was literally the only thing in my head. Yeah. I was like, this is this is like basically the, where this thing ends, you know. <laughs> um you know, and, and within like a year or so of, of kind of doing stuff, uh, you know, I was talking to Adam and Adam, you know, uh, was, was, was doing that for me. And, and it was so cool to kind of like get to that spot that I had kind of visualized and have it all come together in such a cool way with a label that I loved and like all this stuff. Um, you know, and then ending up like doing stuff with Lamo records and all like, it, it was like after that, like, you know, after doing that cassette, it was sort of like, okay, well, I kind of knocked it all out. So everything else from here is, is gravy, you know? And totally. So it, it's definitely been really exciting and, and a, a pretty wild thing to, to kind of any, you know, like I was saying earlier, that whenever you clock, a stranger has heard your music, it's like a total game changer, you know? So yeah. the fact that new strangers seem to continue to be finding it is, is just unbelievable. That's amazing. 
I appreciate that. Thanks for sharing that. And thanks for doing the show, dude. It was it was awesome getting to catch up with you. I'm a big yeah, fan man. of what you're doing. I'm excited to see what you continue to do. Keep up the great work, man. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for having me. And that is our show. Thank you so much to James for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, if you haven't subscribed to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this, please do so. Leaving a positive rating and review, that helps so, so much. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you hanging out. And I will see you next Monday with a brand new radio hour and next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Take care of yourself. Be good. Bye-bye.